I'd like to wish you all happy Father's Day. Thank you very much for coming to church today. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. So I don't know about you guys, but I spent the better part of today outside, and it was like 95. Brutal. I'm going to move back slightly because I think it's creating an echo. All right. I don't have a ton of introduction. I'm just going to jump right in, okay? Um, We have an amazing, amazing father, and that is God himself. I kept... I kept trying to think about what I wanted to say uh, tonight when I found out I was going to be teaching tonight, and um, I thought about talking about, uh, you know, my experience raising my two kids, uh, I thought about talking about my relationship with my own dad, I thought about talking about how we, uh, you know, perceive God, but I think I, I just want to talk to you about who God is, uh, and the best way I can do that is not by telling you stories about how I've raised my kids, it's about looking at God's word and seeing what it reveals about him. But first, before we get there, I want to tell you a couple brief, like, premises by which I want to approach this uh, uh, material. And these premises come from Jordan McWhorter, so credit to where credit is due. So we are created with a deep heart desire for our father, which no human father can fill. We relate to God as children And this is by his design. God wanted it that way. God wanted us to relate to him as children. We desire to be in awe of our father. And if we see him like he really is, we will be. We desire to experience the tender love of our father. And God wants nothing more than to shower that on you. We desire to step into the work of our father. And he prepares good works in advance for you to do. So I thought about speaking to you today about the things I've learned, but instead, I just feel like we need to focus on God, and I hope, I hope that each of you come away from tonight thinking about how great of a father you have in God. God is much greater than our earthly fathers. He's more perfect of a father than we are to our kids. So we can aspire in our relationship to our kids to be like a father to them in the way that God is a father to us. There are a total of 25 passages that we're going to talk about tonight. Yes, that's a lot of material. Um, I'm going to go as fast as possible. I broke that down into 10 attributes of God. First one, I hope it's on the screen because I can't see the screen. Does it say your dad loves you on the screen? Yeah. All right, good. John 16, 26 through 27. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. So this is Jesus speaking in the Gospel of John, and he says that he's not going to ask the Father on your behalf, because the Father himself loves you, meaning you can speak directly to God. You can go directly to the Father who loves you personally and individually. When you think about God's love, Do you think about a verse like John 3.16 that says that God loves the whole world? That is an absolutely amazing verse, and it's 100% true. God loves the whole world. But God also loves you. He loves you personally. He loves you specifically, individually. If you are in Christ, you are the apple of God's eye. Your heavenly Father loves you so much that it gives him joy when you come to him and when you want to speak with him. I think about those days... When I'm working in my office, 
And by the way, I work from home, so my office is in my bedroom. So some days I'm working in my office, and I'm just typing away, doing my job, and I start to see the door handle just turning ever so slightly. And then the door just cracks open just a little bit. And then this little head of my daughter Hannah just peeks through the door and like peeks into my room. And the reason she's so like tentative about that is because she knows she's not supposed to be in my office at any time during the day because that's like off limits, that's where I work. But I still, it gets me excited when I see that she's coming in because I love her. Even though I don't technically want her to be interrupting me constantly, it's so adorable when she walks in. Your heavenly father loves you so much that it gives him so much joy when you pray to him and when you ask him for things in Jesus' name, when you follow him. He just can't wait for you to come to him. And he, it gives him just like a smile to his face when he sees that door turning. Like he's, just, he, he's about to pray to me. He's starting to talk to me. I can't wait to hear. Your dad loves you. Your heavenly father loves you. And God's love for you is not just a character quality. It's passionate and emotional for him. Isaiah 62, 3 through 5 says, You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You should no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called my delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your sons rejoice over you. So this passage in Isaiah is talking about the nation of Israel and, and the city of Jerusalem. So when it says your sons will marry you, I know that's, that can seem unusual, but what it's saying is that the, uh, the descendants of Israel are going to return to Jerusalem and they'll be forever a part of the city forever. The nation of Israel is a picture of God's love for his people and God's relationship to his people. If you have put your trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, then you are now part of God's people and you are the object of his love and affection. Galatians 6 says we're the Israel of God. Now, I'd like to preface this real quick by saying that we cannot automatically appropriate everything that God says about Israel to us or to the church. We can't automatically take everything about Israel and make it ours. However, what we can do when we read the Old Testament and when we read these passages about Israel is we can see what God is like. We can see who he is. We can see what his heart is like. And when you see the love of God in his heart for Israel, you can know that he has the same love for you and the same heart for you. It says that he rejoices over you the way that a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. Did you know that your heavenly father delights in you? He is ecstatic about you. Picture a man and his new bride on their wedding day. The reception just passes like a blur. Like, it's amazing how quickly it goes, the reception. And the, the bridegroom, he just can't take his eyes off of his bride. Like, even if they're separated for a second and she's over there talking to her relatives, and he just catches a glimpse of her, his heart just jumps with excitement that when he sees his bride. Um, and I personally, I haven't been to a lot of weddings lately. It's because I think I'm getting older and none of you guys invite me anymore. But I did go to... Uh, I did go to Ryan Kavanaugh's wedding last, uh, last August, and to watch him look at his wife, uh, like, after they were married, oh my gosh, like, 
it's just, you could tell, like, there's this joy and excitement that he can't wait to, like, just, uh, you know, be with her for the rest of his life. <laughs> I didn't mean for that. <laughs> I meant that spending time with her, okay? Like, come on, get your mind out of the gutter, people. Um, look, so, God, did you know that God's heart jumps for joy when he sees you? Did you know that God just gets excited when he sees you? That he knows, this is my, this is my son, this is my daughter. I love them so much. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. God's feelings about you cannot be contained. God's feelings about you cannot be contained. When he sees you, he feels so much gladness that it pours out of him with a song of joy shouted at the top of his lungs. His love for you is overflowing from every time he looks at you. He just can't help but burst out in a song about his love for you. I think of the father who breaks down in tears of joy trying to pray over his child at their first birthday. God feels even more deeply passionate about you than the greatest earthly father could. Your heavenly Father cares about you. Matthew 10, 29 through 31 says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So this is Jesus speaking, and he's trying to tell people that God is carefully watching out for every, every aspect of their, your life, every need that you have. He's providing for you. So, Useless piece of information. Did you know that the average head of human hair has between 150,000 and 90,000 hairs on it? And it varies depending on the color of your hair. If you have blonde hair, you have about 150,000. And if you have red hair, it's about 90,000. And it kind of ranges in between there. But if you, lo if you lost a hair earlier today, God knew exactly which number that was. That was 75,432. Hair number 75,432 is down. That's what he thinks when, when he thinks about you, because he, he cares so intimately about every intimate detail of your life. In fact, your artwork is proudly displayed on God's refrigerator. He cares so deeply about you, everything that you do, everything that you are, every part of you. Psalm 56, 8 says, you have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle, are they not in your book? Every trial that you've been through is deeply important to God. When you are paralyzed with anxiety and unable to sleep, he's with you, caring for you, counting every time you turn over. When grief or sadness or regret overtakes you and you can't help but weep, your heavenly Father is beside you, catching your tears in a bottle. Not one of them will go to waste. Not one of them will go to waste. Psalm 139 says, If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. 
I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eye saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Every single aspect of who you are was created by your heavenly Father whose loving purpose was to make you like him. Even the parts that you may not be proud of, he has a plan to redeem for his glory. You matter to God. If you think for a moment about the process of knitting or weaving, every aspect of what is being created is made very carefully by hand with each loop and each... Uh, I don't know anything about knitting, but I believe it's very careful. I looked up a YouTube video of it earlier. Seriously. Your heavenly father cares about the details of who you are. That's why he made you that way. You're not a result of chance. You're not a product of random assembly of cells. He made you carefully. He made you purposely. And he cares about every detail. And he loves to watch you grow. Your father is patient with you. We, like little children, often continue to make the same mistakes again and again, and it can be disheartening. Just when you think your son or daughter is potty trained, they pee their pants on your furniture, or even worse, they pee their pants when they're standing right in front of the potty. It's horrible. <laughs> Just when you think you've trained them to keep their food on the tray, they throw their plate onto the floor. Again, just when you think that they were sleeping through the night, they wake up at 1, 3, and 5 a.m. for no reason. We can be the same way. Just when you thought that you'd quit drinking forever, you find yourself blacked out drunk again with no way of getting home. Just when you thought that you'd conquered lust, you're enslaved to it again and right back where you were. Just when you thought you were content with God as your fulfillment, you're seeking fulfillment in dating relationships again. Just when you thought you had a good prayer and Bible study habit going, you haven't done either in a couple weeks. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Your heavenly Father is beautifully, beautifully patient with you. And that's part of his character, to be patient. As you're throwing your fifth temper tantrum of the day, God is standing there reassuring you, calmly waiting for you to be done. This verse in 2 Peter, in the immediate context, is talking about the day of the Lord and God's patience with us, waiting for us to be saved before he returns to reign. However, we can see in this verse an attribute of God that is part of his nature as a good father. His prevailing attitude towards you when you are off track or stumbling or even rebelling is patience. He deeply yearns for you to repent and be with him. But if you are in rebellion against him today, the fact that you are still breathing means that you are a recipient of God's patience. He desires repentance from us daily, and he displays his patience with us daily. 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 16 says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. 
that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as a foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So not only is your heavenly Father patient with you, he has perfect patience with you. His patience with us is a model that we should follow in our patience with our kids and our patience with others. In this passage in 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul puts forth himself as an example of God's patience. And as many of you know, as I'm sure you all know, Paul was a Jewish leader who was violently opposed to the church. He was trying to end Christianity and was persecuting early believers. Jesus' early disciples were afraid of Paul because of his reputation. However, God patiently endured Paul's hatred and anger towards Jesus, even his complete rebellion, showing him mercy in the most beautiful way, appearing to him on the Damascus Road and calling him to follow him. When you sin or fall off track, you don't need to hide from God. First of all, that's impossible, as you may have remembered from Psalm 139 that we read a second ago, even darkness is as light to him. You can't hide. But second of all, your God, your heavenly Father, is incredibly patient with you, and he longs to show you mercy, even when you're rebellious, even when you're faithless. Your dad forgives you. Your father forgives you. In Micah 7, 18 through 19, it says, Who is a God like you? pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He again will have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot and you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. So not only is your heavenly father patient with you, he forgives you. He forgives you completely. He will not harbor bitterness against you. When you turn to him, he will run to you. When you call on him, he will embrace you with open arms. And in the safety of God's embrace, all your sins and rebellion will be totally forgotten. They will be separated from you forever. Your relationship will be completely and totally restored just as though you had never sinned. That's the type of forgiveness that God provides. That's the type of forgiving father that he is your relationship will be so completely restored that it will be just as though you had never sinned. Lamentations 3, 22 through 23 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I think this is a, this is a hard thing to learn when you first come to Christ. You know, when you first come to Christ... You're so in love with him. It's so amazing. He's wiped your slate totally clean. He's made you fully right with him. And that first time that you sin is so hard because you feel like you've disappointed your father. You've, you've uh, failed. But God doesn't just forgive you once. If you've turned to Jesus in repentance, God forgave you in that moment for all your past, present, and future sins, nailing them to the cross. He forgave you completely. However... I would also like to say that you might feel like God can't possibly still forgive you if after coming to Jesus, you break his heart by turning from him. God is different than we are. He's not like us. He doesn't have a last straw. There's no cap on his forgiveness. His love never 
ends. And every single day, his mercies are new. Every single day, he wants to forgive you. Your heavenly Father is spectacularly powerful. Matthew 16, 27 says, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Your Father is powerful and just. He will set everything right when he comes to judge the earth. Your Father has a weight of glory around him that will shake the earth when he comes in the fullness of his power to reign forever. Nothing is too difficult for him. 1 Chronicles 29, 10-12 says, Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. No one can overrule your dad. Our God and Father in heaven is the head over all. His word stands as the ultimate authority, and he is the source of our strength. Some of our earthly fathers were great. They could fix everything. They could build anything. They could lift anything. They could open any jar. They could do anything. It seemed like there was nothing they couldn't do. But some of our earthly fathers were not like that. Some of them were not able to pay the bills or hold a job. Some of them fell into moral failure with alcohol or adultery or idolatry. Some didn't even stick around long enough for you to meet them. Whether they seem strong or weak, all of our earthly fathers were human. Our heavenly father, however, is all-powerful and he will never cave in or fail or check out. He will always be on his throne. He will always have the power. Your dad is training and preparing you. Psalm 144, 1 through 2 says, Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues people under me. Your Father in heaven has a plan for you, and he wants to train you for greatness. He doesn't just prepare good works in advance for you to do and leave you to fend for yourself figuring out how to do them. God has designed the circumstances of your life to train you to accomplish all that he has set out for you to accomplish. He wants to invest in you and equip you with the skill that you need to succeed. John 15, 1-2 says, I am the true vine and my father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that, he may bear, that it may, may bear more fruit. God wants to grow you, and he wants to grow you up into a beautiful tree that's filled with fruit. And to do that, from time to time, he may take away things from your life that are not growing in the right direction. Even if those things seem like good things. You have a loving father who wants to train you and prepare you to be the best that you can be, and he's willing to go to whatever length. 
And you should be glad that he's still caring for you, that no matter how old you are, no matter how long you've lived, he's still pruning you, he's still training you, he's still preparing you. If you are alive today, can I tell you something? That means that God is not done with you yet. That means he's got more to do with you. Your dad will protect and defend you. Matthew 26, 53 says, do you, not, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? So this passage, this is Jesus speaking and it's the night of his betrayal and Judas, who's betraying Jesus, has brought a crowd of people with swords and clubs into the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was praying. And he's been surrounded by this crowd of thugs. And one of Jesus' disciples draws a sword and cuts off the ear of one of the people who's surrounding them to capture him. Jesus says, I don't need to fight back in this situation. We don't need to uh, draw our swords and fight this battle. If I wanted to, my dad could send 60,000 soldiers instantly and wipe these pitiful attackers out. Jesus knew that his father had the utmost power and will to protect and defend him. So he was at all times 100% fully confident in that, that his father was with him, that his father had the power of the angel armies to send to his defense. When we know that our Father will protect and defend us, we can follow Him into any situation unafraid because you have the power of heaven watching out for you to protect and defend you. I hope that when you were growing up, you felt that your Father was there for you and that if you got into trouble, your Father would get you out. I hope that you felt that He was uh, going to move heaven and earth to rescue you if you were in danger because that's how God feels about you. John 10, 27 through 30 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So this is probably my favorite verse at the moment. Uh, it might be my favorite verse of all time, but people say that all the time. It's hard. To, it, pretty much if, if someone is speaking on a Sunday and they say a verse, it's probably going to be their favorite verse because they've been reading it lately. But seriously, this is probably my favorite verse. Because if you are safe in God's hands, nothing can separate you from him. Like, he has you. He is protecting you. You cannot lose your salvation under any circumstances. You are safe in the hand of the Almighty Father, and no one is greater than him. No one is stronger than him. No one can snatch you out of his hand. You are safe in the arms of your loving Father. There is absolutely nothing that can separate you from his love. Your dad is jealous for you. Exodus 34, 14 says... For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. So this, uh, what's on the screen is a, the Hebrew for Elkanah, which is God is Jealous, or God the Jealous One. So that verse in Exodus actually says not only is jealousy an attribute of God, it's actually one of his names. 
It's, part, it's very deep to his character. This is something that we need to understand about our Heavenly Father. He's jealous. He wants you. He doesn't want to share you. He doesn't want to share you with other things that you would worship instead of him. Zechariah 1.14 says, So the angel who talked with me said to me, Cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. Your heavenly Father is jealous for you. He loves you so much that he wants you to be the sole he wants to be the sole object of your desire. He wants you to find your fulfillment in him and not in other things. He designed your hungers and your needs to be met in him. And he is jealous when you go to other things instead of him. Luke 15:4 through 7 says what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance." This is a story that Jesus told the scribes and the Pharisees when they were grumbling about how he was welcoming sinners into his company and even eating with them in their homes. It immediately precedes the parable of the prodigal son in the book of Luke. Brothers and sisters, your heavenly father longs for you to be with him, and it hurts him when you stray from him. And there is incredible joy when you return to him because you matter so much to God. You, you, personally and individually matter so much to God. He feels jealousy when even one of you strays from following him. God is not indifferent to your actions. He would leave everything to carry you back to the fold rather than see you get lost. Psalm 84, 10 says, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. And this psalm is written by the sons of Korah, who were the worship leaders in ancient Israel. And um, it expresses their just longing to be with him like nothing else could satisfy. They only want to be in his courts. God is jealous for you because he knows that you were made to be with him. In his presence is fullness of joy and pleasure forever. As the writer of this psalm says, there is no place they would rather be than God's presence. And you have a father who longs to give you the fulfillment that you were made for. Two more. Your dad is preparing an incredible inheritance for you. Some of us, our earthly parents have modeled a life of faith for us, and they passed on to us spiritual disciplines, and they passed on to us a heritage of faith, and we could look up to them. And through their good stewardship of their resources, some of our parents will pass on to us a great inheritance that we look forward to from their hard work. But for some of us, our earthly parents will leave us nothing when they die. For some, 
The legacy of our earthly fathers is the wounds that you feel from the way they hurt you and the hole in your heart that was created by their absence. But your heavenly father is a king, and he has been preparing an awesome inheritance for you. He has been preparing an awesome inheritance for you, a glorious, righteous inheritance, not an inheritance of sin. Matthew 25, 31 says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne, and before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. So Jesus tells this story about the coming judgment. And there's going to be a time when he comes back surrounded by his angels. And he's going to set apart the people that he's redeemed. Those who've repented and turned to him by faith. And at that time, you will receive an inheritance, and that inheritance is not an afterthought to God. He's not going to be scrambling to put together an inheritance like five minutes before he comes back. He's been working on your inheritance from the foundation of the world. He was thinking about you. He was preparing an inheritance for you. Psalm 16, 5 and 6, The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. So the lines in this psalm refer to the boundary lines of a, a piece of land. And in ancient times, they would use a marker like a big rock to identify where your yard ended and the next person's estate began. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places means the estate and the heritage and the inheritance that was set apart for me is beautiful to me. It's a good, it's a good piece of land. It's a good, beautiful inheritance that I receive. But I found something interesting about this verse. It says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. Your heavenly Father himself is your portion, and your inheritance is to be in his presence forever. You have a beautiful inheritance. And finally, you will get to live with your dad forever. John 16, 32, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. So Jesus spoke these words as he was predicting his betrayal, his upcoming crucifixion. He knew that in that moment, all of his friends and disciples were going to turn their backs on him and abandon him. Even Peter, his closest friend, would deny even knowing him. But Jesus knew that even in the most desperate time when he felt completely alone, the Father would be with him. He knew that his Father would never leave him. Some of you have lost your earthly dad too soon. He was taken away from you before the time, and you feel the hurt 
You feel the hurt of that emptiness. That he's not, he's not there today with you. Your heavenly father cannot die. He is with you now and always, and you will spend eternity with him. He can never die. Revelation 21, 3 through 7 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. This passage in Revelation describes the end of time when God will accomplish what he's been working towards all along, which is to live with us in perfect unity and to heal every ounce of pain and wrong in this world. Your destiny is to live with your heavenly Father forever. The bottle that caught your tears in it will be a memory of how much he cared about you all the days of your life. And what an awesome, perfect father he was to you then. And he will always be your God, and you will always be his son. I've been following Jesus for 16 years, sometimes closely, sometimes poorly. There's been some times that I've been in his presence daily, and there's some times when I have neglected my relationship with him totally. There's been times when I was walking with him in victory, and there's been times when I was caught in sin and floundering. But God has always been faithful to me. He's been patient with me. God has always been loving towards me. He has welcomed me immediately with open arms whenever I have looked to him. And God has been my heavenly father, and he desires and longs and grieves and passionately wants to be yours also. And the band may come up to the stage. So in conclusion, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21 says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, According to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So, the reason I share this last passage, we've talked about ten aspects of who God is as a father. And I hope that maybe some of this, at least one of these things, has opened up your heart a little bit to him, softened your heart towards him. 
I hope that you receive him as your dad. I hope that you welcome him into your life as your dad. But in light of who God is, the only reasonable response is to drop to your knees. The only reasonable response when you realize the beauty of who he is is to drop to your knees and to thank him and to marvel at his love. So, when this service is over tonight, I hope that you will call or text your dad, your earthly dad, and thank him for raising you and for changing your diaper and for, uh, you know, putting up with you, waking him up every night and for teaching you how to ride a bike, everything that he did for you. But I also hope that when you go home tonight, that you will call on your heavenly father and let him know how thankful you are for his love and that you look forward to spending every last moment of eternity with him because he's so looking forward to that with you. Let's pray. God, we just we long to be in your presence, Lord. Lord, where how how have we spent so much time out of your presence, God? You desire us so badly. Lord, I just I pray that we would run into your presence and never stray from it, Lord. I pray that every ounce of our being would long to be with you. And I pray that we'd accept the training that you want to give us, Lord. I pray that we'd accept the training that you want to train our hands for the tasks that you have in store for us, Lord. I pray we'd accept the pruning that you want to bring into our lives, God. And I pray that we would just look forward to that day that we'll get to meet you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen.